Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Good morning. My name is Gene Williams. I am one of the young leaders here at Grace Fellowship Church, and I'm delighted to be here this morning. I have really been enjoying our series through Ecclesiastes, and I hope you have been as well. If you would like to make use of a nursery, uh, it is available in that direction. Just go to the back of the room and make a couple lefts. Um, but you're more than welcome to have your children here in the service with you. There's also a nursing mother's room right there if you'd like to take advantage of that. Do you want to know the secret to happiness? Many people, Christian and non, spend their time, their energy, their money in the pursuit of happiness. What do you give up in the hope of attaining happiness? Do you have thoughts like, as soon as I get this new toy, then I'll be happy. As soon as I get these student loans paid off, then I'll be happy. As soon as I get married, then I'll be happy. As soon as I have X amount of money saved up, as soon as I pass this class... Just get me to the end of the semester, then I'll be happy. As soon as my kids are at a certain age or they're through such and such a phase, then I'll be set. Last one. As soon as I earn this person's respect, then I'll be happy. I'm here today to tell you that none of these things will make you happy. Not for very long, anyway. No, your, your longing will go unquenched, your soul unsatisfied. True happiness is found in God and in being content with the life He's given you here under the sun. Let's open up the Word of God to Ecclesiastes 5 and let Him define happiness. It is on page... 356, if you have a church Bible. In this chapter, Solomon is going to give us two vanities and then a charge to be content. I want to share why I think God, through Solomon, is calling us to be content and enjoy the life that God has given us. All right, starting at the first verse, like I said, of chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. 
If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to see the vanities that exist down here on earth. Help us to enjoy what you have given us and delight in Jesus, our Savior. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. In Christ's name, amen. Today we are going to consider two vanities and then a call for contentment. On your outline, you can see vanity number one is when words grow many, there is vanity. Number two, loving money is vanity. And then we are going to consider Solomon's conclusion what to do with the life that God has given you. With that, let's start with the setting. Verse 1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Solomon's setting for these verses is the house of God, or the church. Keep that in mind as we read the first seven. Verse 2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. In this verse, Solomon commands not to be quick to speak before God. After all, God is in heaven, and you are on earth. By saying God is in heaven and you are on earth, I don't think Solomon is saying God is too busy and important to listen to you. Other scriptures make it clear that we are to go to God with our words and our prayers. 
What I do think Solomon is saying is he is commanding thoughtfulness and intentionality when you speak with your Father in heaven. Don't be rash. Don't be hasty. Let your words be few and meaningful. Maybe an illustration will help capture some of what he's saying. Think about the last time you went outside at night and looked up into the clear night sky. Maybe you were away from the city, and as you looked up into the sky, you saw thousands of stars you were never able to see before because you're away from the city. And as you look up, you you can't help but be captivated by the the glory of God's creation. A sense of awe and wonder comes over you, and you're rendered speechless. All you can say is, wow, God's amazing. I think what Solomon is saying is a bit like that. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. It is better than to be rash with your mouth. Think about it this way. Try to have the patient humility of Mary sitting and listening at Jesus' feet rather than the quick bark of Martha from the kitchen. Speaking of Jesus... He had something to say about many words too, right? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Matthew 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus, as Solomon saw the vanity in many words and empty phrases. Don't think that you will be heard just because you say a lot. God knows what you need before you ask. Just say what you need to say. In the same way that Solomon says to be careful with your words, he says to be careful with your vows. Verse 4, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he, God, has no pleasure in fools. Here we see Solomon continuing with the idea of being careful of what you say before the Lord. Be wise with your words. In this context, Solomon is probably talking about sacrificial animal vows. But for us, what might it look like? It might look like me vowing to read my Bible every day for the next month. Or giving up something for Lent. That's a common one. Whatever it is, when you make the vow, this text says to be sure to do what you vowed. In fact, it's actually better that you not make a promise at all than that you promise and not follow through with it. About two years ago, I vowed to God to take a year off of dating. Dating had been a recurring idol in my life, and this was a way that I wanted to smash that idol. So if the opportunity arose, if a young lady came along during this year, I, I was set to resist. 
My goal was to focus on God, grow closer to Him, and not even consider dating an option on the table. Sadly, I have to say, I did not keep my vow. When I had a month left of my year, I started moving forward to pursue another relationship. I just couldn't wait. To this day, this is something that I regret and I grieve over. I think, Gene, you're such a two-faced liar. Why did you commit to something that you weren't fully prepared to follow through with? According to this text, it would have been better for me not to have vowed than for me to have vowed and not paid. Now, I'm ultimately forgiven in Christ, and I say this not to beat myself up, but to share with you that the danger and the vanity of offering up hasty vows and many words. Where are you tempted to multiply your words or push off something that you promised to God? Keep thinking about that as we close out this section. Verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Solomon says, vanity follows these things, but God is the one you must fear. Why do you think we're tempted to say many words? Is it because we want to be sure we're understood? Is it because... If we don't say a lot, we're anxious that they won't understand us. I want to make sure I explain everything so that they don't misunderstand me. I want to be understood because being understood means that they'll like me. And if they like me, then I'll be happy. Friends, you will never be completely understood by anyone but God. And the funny thing is, he already understands you. You don't even have to say a word. He knows you better than you know yourself. The best way to sum this one up is what Solomon has already said. Where words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. How does this apply? Be content to go before God without hasty vows and many words. Don't try to gain happiness by the words that you say. Fear God and let Him be your enjoyment, for He understands you completely already. Let's move on to our second vanity. Loving money is vanity. Look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This one strikes a chord with me. This is coming from a man, Solomon, who had a ton of money. More money than you or I will ever have. And yet, he says that you will not be satisfied. No matter how much you get your fingers on, it will never satisfy your desires. It will never quench your soul. In a 1978 study, 
that was published in the Journal of Personal Personality and Social Psychology. Researchers compared lottery winners with non-lottery winners, or lottery non-winners, and their happiness. The study found that, quote, the overall happiness level levels of lottery winners spiked when they won, but returned to pre-winning levels just after a few months. In terms of overall happiness, the lottery winners were not significant happy, significantly happier than non-winners. Like a lottery winner, you can end up with so much and yet not be satisfied with it. I think God set it up that way. Do you find yourself loving money? Do you think thoughts like, someday I will have this much money and then I'll be set. Or my income will be fill in the blank. Then I'll be set. These are dangerous thoughts, my friends. Children, maybe for you it's, I would love to have more money so that I can buy that toy. College students, maybe it's, I would love to have a steady income. Others, maybe it's, I would love to finally have enough money to buy that new car or make a down payment on that house. Now, of course, saving for these things is not bad. Saving and spending wisely can glorify God. What makes the difference is whether or not you love the money. If you love the money, then Solomon says you will be dissatisfied. Praise be to God. The day you'll be satisfied with loving money will never come. God loves you too much to let you find your security and your happiness in anything other than himself. I'd encourage you to think about it like this. Do you have enough money to pay the bills? Do you have enough to put food on the table? Are you and your family doing all right? Then relax. Be content. Be happy. Praise God. He's provided for you in the past and He will continue to do so. Be content with what God's given and enjoy it. Don't love money. Loving money is vain. We're told by God. When I was a senior at Penn State, I had the choice of becoming an actuary and making a ton of money or becoming a missionary and making a more modest salary. And I I chose the missionary route. And after a year living on a missionary salary, I can honestly say that God has taught me I can be content with the amount that comes in every month. It's a different standard of living than an actuary maybe, but I can still enjoy and be content with what God has given me. How can you be content with what God's given you. Let's continue in the text. In verse 11, Solomon asks a question. He says, What advantage has the owner of goods but to see them with his eyes? This is remarkable. This is coming from the guy who in chapters 2 we saw owned everything. 
Solomon owned houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, male and female slaves, great herds and flocks, more than any who were before him. He owned silver, gold, treasures upon treasures, singers and concubines. This man had everything, and yet he says in verse 11, what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? He says, yeah, you know all that stuff I got? Really, the only benefit is I can see them. In other words, all my possessions aren't giving me satisfaction. They're useless in satisfying my soul. Are you ever tempted to think that once you have possession of the next thing, then you'll be set? If so, consider Solomon's words. Continuing with the money theme, next in verses 13 through 17, we see a case study that Solomon's observed. He's observed a bad example. He sees a man become rich, lose it all, and then go naked to the grave just as he came. The text says the riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. This is a man who loves money. He lost all his riches in a bad venture. What's worse is he had a son to provide for in the text. This man came into the world naked and he will leave the world naked with nothing in his hands. Even though he toiled and he became rich, the money vanishes like that. To top it all off, this man eats in the dark. He's vexed. He's sick. He's angry. Solomon has observed this man who loves money. And it didn't turn out well for him. What did Jesus Christ say about loving money? Again, the Sermon on the Mount, we see him saying, No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and, and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus said, You got to pick. You can't love both. And loving money is vain. So make your choice. To close out this section, we've seen that loving money is vain. We've seen that he who loves money will not be satisfied with it. We've seen that even the man who had possessions galore did not find contentment in them. Even the man who worked hard to acquire riches loses it in the end. He goes naked to the grave. How does this apply to us? If many words are vain and loving money is vain, what's the point? What should I do? Let's look to Solomon's final verses for application. Let's talk about his conclusion, how to use the life God has given you. Verse 18, this is an important one. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is 
to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Solomon uses conclusive language. Behold, what I have seen to be good. He's offering something conclusive, something based on observation of life under the sun. What does he say for us to do? He says we should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in our work. Find enjoyment in your job, in the position that God has awarded you. Why? For this is his lot. This is what you've been given. This is the life God has given you. Be content. And as long as you're honoring the Lord and obeying his commandments, enjoy it. Solomon continues in verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So Solomon is describing a certain type of people who have the gift of God. He says that they have wealth and possessions, but not only that, they have that and the power to enjoy them. We see the exact opposite of this in chapter 6. We'll hear about this when Bill covers chapter 6 next week. Verse 2 says, There is a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, God does not give him the power to enjoy them. In other words, it is possible to have everything you want and be left wanting. You don't have the power to enjoy them, given by God. Do you have the gift of God? Do you have some measure of wealth and possessions that you can enjoy? Can you rejoice in your toil? Can you accept your lot? If so, I can say, I would say you can really praise God for this gift and enjoy it. In closing, verse 20 brings us back to happiness. Let's read it. For he, now keep in mind this is the man who has the gift of God, not the man who loves money. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So this man won't remember much of his life because God keeps him so joyous. That's what the text says. His life will have been marked by contentment and joy and pleasure in God and what he's been given by him. This is what Solomon wants to get across. There is vanity all around, in words and in money. So in light of that vanity, enjoy what God's given you. Be content. Jesus did this. 
He accepted his lot. He was content with where God had him. He said, not my will, but yours. Hebrews 12.2 For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus came down and lived amongst the vanity, accepting his lot. And how did that end up for him? He's now seated at the right hand of God the Father with sinners being welcomed into the family of God. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this world is messy. Sometimes life is hard to understand. People say a lot. People love money. I'm tempted to say a lot. I'm tempted to love money. God, would you help us in light of a vanity to keep our eyes on you? Would you help us to enjoy what you have given us and be content with what we have? For we have everything in the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gene. This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a response to uh, the word that's been preached to us. And uh, there is one who understood that when words grew many, there was vanity. And uh, Jesus uh, didn't come just to talk and talk and talk, but he came to lay down his life for us. He understood the vanity of money, uh, even the, the, the wealth that was spent, the 30 pieces of silver to betray him. And so we celebrate Jesus' broken body and his blood poured out for us. I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And praise God that this is our lot in life, that we get to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and that uh, this is uh, what God has given to us to delight in and to rejoice in the life he's given us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll have some instructions for you uh, while the worship team comes up. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, uh, to give his life that he might ransom many. And Lord, our hope is in him. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in our words. It's not in our money. Our hope is in you. You are the one who gives us uh, good things, and you have given us the best thing in Christ. Please help us now to honor you and love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.